Morning, everybody. I invite you to take your Bibles. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6 again. Today we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13 as we continue in our series entitled The Invisible War. Appreciate the uh, worship time with Mike and Elizabeth uh, as we seek to have our souls well in uh, these confusing and challenging times. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, we read this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. Let's pray together. Lord, we read in this passage that it says to be standing firm with our armor on uh, for the moment when the day of evil comes. Lord, we realize from your word that Satan is continually uh, and his emissaries working against us, seeking to undermine our walk with you. But there are those seasons of particular pain, challenge that are called days of evil. Lord, for people that are in that place this morning, I pray particularly in this message. I pray that they might find hope, that they might find their own hearts drawn more deeply to trust and lean into you and your resources for them. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to the scripture this morning as we study it together in Jesus' name. Amen. We've looked the last couple of Sundays at this subject, the invisible war. The first week we looked at spiritual forces of evil described here, the, the hierarchical organization that uh, is overseen by Satan that uh, continually is active in our world. It actually is the best explanation for the evil we see of such prominence in our world today that, as Paul says, that we aren't just wrestling against flesh and blood. This is just not a human thing that's going on. There is an energizing force behind evil in our world, and here it's defined for us as the, the invisible forces of evil, this hierarchical structure of spirit beings. Secondly, we looked last time at the strategy of the enemy, the, these forces of evil, we looked at the fact that uh, their goal is to keep us from depending on and trusting in God. That is the continual strategy of Satan. And he uses with his uh, associates four different schemes, deception, temptation, accusation, and intimidation. This morning, we want to look at the passage as it talks about our, the armor itself. And I want to give sort of a snapshot overview trying to answer three questions. Number one, why do we have the armor? Secondly, how do we use the armor? Third, what actually is the armor? I'm going to try to answer those three questions as we go through our study together in the next number of minutes together. First of all, why do we have the armor? And the answer that I would suggest is that we might live to the glory of God. 
I mentioned last week a classic book was written, I just put it up here quickly, The Holy War by John Bunyan. And in his book, he talks about this, this place um, where Diabolos and his associates were looking, trying to find some place to really react because of their embittered spirits towards God's casting them out uh, of, of positions of responsibility and authority. And as they're wandering through the place called Universe, they come to this city called Mansoul. And again, I'd like to read what, what happened. When they found the place, they shouted horribly for joy and roared as a lion over its prey, saying, Now we have found the prize, and how to take revenge on King Shaddai for what he has done to us. So they called a council of war and considered what methods they should use to win this famous town of Mansoul for themselves. This book and this actually opening statement to the book is a beautiful example of what the scripture says regarding spiritual warfare. And there are three elements of it that help us to understand why we need an armor. First of all, Satan's attacks are, are ultimately against God. But secondly, Satan's attacks are against those who belong to God. His desire to bring down God, to do harm to God, uh, is not very satisfying. So what he does, and the forces of evil do, is focus on those that belong to God and to try to keep others from belonging to God. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 4, he, he blinds the minds of, of unbelievers. Um, the devil does. Third, Satan's attacks are to undermine the purpose for which God has designed and redeemed us to bring him glory. This is really important. It is actually foundational to everything we're going to say in this entire series. And I'd like to do one other quote from a book that I've come to greatly appreciate by a man named Jerry Rankin. It's called Spiritual Warfare. Spiritual warfare needs to be understood in the context of God's purpose. He has a specific will for each of us, but basically his purpose and desire is to be glorified in our life. Satan tempts us to sin in order to keep God from being glorified. We have an enemy that is intent on robbing God of his glory in our lives. God is glorified when we are conformed to the image of Christ and live like him. So basically, Satan is trying to keep us from bringing glory to God. Now, that may raise a question to you in light of what I said last week. And you may say, wait a minute, Mark. I thought you said that Satan's strategy is to keep us from depending on and trusting in God. I did. Because that is the means by which we glorify God. That we, it is through that behavior, God is glorified in your life as you depend on Him, as you trust in Him. As John Piper says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. We bring glory to God when we show God's worthiness. When we show that He is worthy of our trust that he is worthy of our obedience, that he is worthy of our love. And so all of the attacks of Satan are attempting to stop us from declaring by our lives, God is worthy. We see this in a variety of ways, and, and actually it's a very sobering scenario. Because it's a scenario where the powers of darkness are attempting to... Um, 
do harm to God, to hurt God, to, and we know that he can be grieved by the sins of his children, we're told that, tempting even to embarrass God, if you will. It's interesting that when we read in the scriptures, both old and new, the book of Zechariah, the book of Revelation chapter 12, when it talks about Satan accusing the brethren, who he's accusing them to is God. He is saying to them, look at them, look at what they do. I'd like to just play that scenario out in a few simple, perhaps ordinary, frequent scenes in our lives. The devil comes and he's watching. He's seeing things that others don't see. He sees if you cheat on your income taxes. So how does that fit into spiritual warfare? And how does that fit if you're a child of God and and, and Satan attempting to, to take away the glory of God? He sees you cheating on your income taxes and very likely is going to God and saying, God, you're not worthy of being trusted. She doesn't believe you will take care of her financially. Look at what she's doing. There's a scenario where you're unwilling to speak out in school or in the office and to identify with the name of Christ. And the accusation is thrown into the face of God. You are not worthy of that guy's devotion because he is unwilling to face ridicule or intimidation for your name. You're watching pornography. The devil simply can say, God, you're not enough. You don't satisfy this guy. You're overwhelmed with harsh words from others and you turn to binge eating or booze or a joint. The accusation is likely made, God... He's trying to escape from reality because you are not enough as a source of peace and comfort in his life. Well, the devil throws up as is so easy today in your face. As you're all stirred up, that it's okay to be stirred up about the political climate and and, and about the, the way this shutdown thing is being handled. They're ignorant. They don't know. All they care about is the sick, and they don't care about what's happening to you and your finances. Or on the other hand, maybe it's all they care about is finances and and themselves, and they don't care about those that are sick. And the devil incites you, and you find yourselves feeling the need as he he says, well, tell them to shut up. Speak at them. Use, Use violent words on Facebook. And then what does he do? I would suggest to you what he does is then he goes to the Lord and he says, God, see, your way of gentleness and kindness and forbearance, your son or daughter considers it too slow. It's stupid. It's not the way to to change things. This is real and it's practical. That what spiritual warfare is directed against is the practical realities of our life Is my life saying God is worthy? God is worth it. Now, you might be listening and saying, Mark, you're kind of overstating this. I mean, the devil doesn't do that. He doesn't go to God and and, and you're sensationalizing my my small sin and making it into this big thing. I don't think I am. I think this is real. I think Revelation 12 and Zechariah 3 and other portions of Scripture are exactly what's going on. I think it's what was going on in the book of Job when when Job appears before the Lord and the Lord says, what are you doing? He said, I've been going to and fro. He's wandering around looking for people. 
And he says, well, while you're looking for people to bring against me, have you considered my servant Job? The devil sort of groaned, I know Job, I know him well. The only reason he's not denying you, the only reason he's declaring you're worthy is you give him everything you want. This is real stuff, guys. This is a real scenario that when we give in to secret sins in our lives, there are, there are individuals that are throwing that in the face of God and saying, your son, your daughter, they don't consider you worthy. This is the element of spiritual warfare that is, is coming at our lives all of the time. The devil isn't simply reporting your sins. He's accusing with those sins, slandering God. And that is why, again, I, I like the way that uh, Jerry Rankin says it. And here's the book, by the way. Spiritual warfare is basically about vengefulness. Satan has been defeated. He has been thrown out of heaven. The real battle is Satan's opposition to God. He's jealous of God's power and glory in vengefulness. He seeks to embarrass God through our failure and carnal living. We're constantly under attack. Satan wants to destroy and defeat us, but we're pawns he uses in the conflict against God. Why do we need armor? Why do we have this passage about uh, the invisible war? Because Satan is seeking to undermine that which we are called to do, to live to the glory of God, to declare by our lives and our words and our ambitions and our thought life that God is worthy. The second thing we find, the second question is, how do we use the armor? We use it in resisting the attacks of the enemy. It's interesting that all of the pieces of the armor are defensive. There's a helmet, there's a shield, there's a breastplate, there's the belt of truth, there's the, the, the shoes, the footgear, the sandals. The only one that might be controversial would be it says we're given a sword. However, the word for sword here is not the word that is typically used of a broadsword, which would be a Roman sword that he would use if he was out uh, attacking. It's the sword that is actually about 18 inches long. Typically, it was a knife. It was a long dagger. It, it meant if somebody comes and grapples with you, that you would stab them. You, you didn't take that little baby out. You know, it'd be like taking a knife out in the midst of where you're going to do a duel with somebody with a long sword. You'd never do that. These were defensive weapons. Notice what they don't get given. The, the warrior in Ephesians 6. There's no broadsword. There's no spear. There's no chariot. There's no bow and arrow. There's no way. It is viewed as a defensive position we are, we are in. Our goal, he says, is to remain standing. And the idea of this, just listen to these words, and I'm reading Verses 10 through 14. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. been reading recently the Red Badge of Courage, uh, which is the classic story about the Civil War um, and it's about a young guy that goes off to war and his big fear is that he constantly asks himself, will I stand my ground in the face of the enemy? And in his first battle, actually, he doesn't. 
Uh, guys all around him start retreating. They, they, they flee. And in shame, he leaves. He doesn't stand his ground. That is the picture that is told to us in our spiritual warfare. Now, we don't tend to like that, right? I mean, we, 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 we don't want to have a defensive posture. We want this to be about, you know, that, Mark, that's not how I picture spiritual warfare. I, I want to I take on Satan's domain. I mean, I, I, I want to attack. I mean, the best defense is a good offense, right? I mean, I mean, let's go after him. Let's get the devil on his heels by, by throwing the Hail Mary and, and, and the quick strike and the gadget plays. That's not the picture of spiritual warfare in the Scripture. As the followers of Jesus, as the members of His kingdom, we are on enemy-occupied soil. Satan is the prince of this fallen planet. He became that when, when the original humans fell into sin, and he now took over by the power of death, a position in this world where he now became the prince of the power of the air. He, has, he is a prince of this world. He has some influence that is greater than anyone else's other than God's. We have three sides of battle, of warfare. We have the flesh, which is inside of us. We have Satan which is, and, and his forces against us. And we have the world around us. This world is is in the influence of the devil. And so, when you start living to the glory of Jesus Christ, when you start bearing witness for Jesus, when you start trusting God with the money He's giving to you, you are making waves in this world's kingdom. You are the enemy. You are the one being attacked. And if you don't sense the attack... It's likely that you are already where he has enticed you to be, distracted with things other than living to the glory of God, perhaps um, preoccupied, lukewarm, as Revelation says, because his goal is to get us to not live declaring the worthiness of God. But we are under attack when we are. And you will sense that attack. So, so what does he mean when he says we're to stand? I mean, what does it mean to stand in, in spiritual warfare? Here's what it means. You stand by saying yes to Christ. You stand by obeying and trusting and yielding your life to Jesus. You stand by letting Jesus be the Lord of your life in each moment, publicly and privately. You stand by declaring by your trust and your obedience that God is worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your obedience. He's worthy of being Lord. Many of us love that song by Andrew Peterson, Is, is He Worthy? The question's asked and the answer is He is. Is He worthy? Is He worth suffering for? The person that's standing is saying, Yes, I'm willing to suffer because he's worthy. Is he worthy? Is he worth dying for? The person that's standing is saying yes. Is he worth trusting? Is he worth obeying? Is he worth telling others about? Is he worthy? 
If you say by your life and your choices that He is, He's glorified in you. You're then standing in the battle. But here's the beauty. Even though it is a defensive position, by your response, there is forward progress of the kingdom. We gain ground by resisting. Listen to this passage in James chapter 4 where it says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In 1 Peter 5, in the, in the, in the passage that we all um, quote about the, the fearsomeness of the devil, and it talks there, it says, Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So what do you do? You resist him. You don't, you don't pretend you're a game catcher and you try to catch him. No, you, you resist him. Why? Because that is what causes him to fall back. That is what causes the kingdom of Christ to go forward. It is not spiritual warfare fought by formulas where we bind Satan, where we cast him out, or we proclaim some incantations. I don't mean that there is no place for that. But where we really have spiritual power is in resisting the devil. Is saying, no, I'm standing here declaring the worthiness of Christ by trusting Him. That I'm not intimidated. That I'm not bailing. That I'm not turning to, to other means to, to try to find my, my addictions or addictive or, or, or harmful human behaviors in order to feel good. I'm turning to Christ. I'm resisting the various methodologies of the devil to get me to turn to something else and by so doing declare he really isn't worthy. He really isn't enough. It's interesting in the book of Acts, in Acts 19, there's a classic passage. In Acts 19, there's this scene where, where Peter, excuse me, Paul has been casting out demons by the power of Christ and and in the church in Ephesus, or in the city of Ephesus, there's seven guys that are the son of the, the high priest uh, of Judaism there. And these are, these are leaders of the spiritual community of the city, at least that part of the city. They were renowned, in it, it, he would be a renowned figure. And they're watching Paul, and they're watching him cast out demons. And so they decide to try, all seven of them. And so they started going around saying, where they saw demon-possessed people, and they started saying, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. I'm quoting from Acts chapter 19. And one day, again, verse 15 of Acts 19, one day the evil, an evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I mean, this must have been an awesome, awesome thing to watch. But here's the scenario. Here's these spiritual mucky mucks. Here's people of some credibility in the town. And the devil's saying to them, who are you? You're nobody. We never talk about you in our board meetings. And then they talk about this vagabond preacher who came to their city who doesn't even have a job who doesn't have any financial backing, he has to sit there and make tents in order to buy his own food. And they say, 
Him? Him we know. We talk about Him in the strategy meetings. Why? Because He knows Jesus. And He depends on Jesus. And He's empowered by Jesus. Him we know. Him we know. Why did the demons know Paul? It wasn't because of his particular statements to cast out demons or the formula. It was because he lived in his life the declaration by his faith, God is worthy. I want him to be glorified in my life. I go where he tells me to go. I do what he tells me to say. I, 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 I trust him. I wait on him. I've given every part of my life over to him. Private, public, personal, work-related. Jesus is my Lord. And this man, this simple man, who had no backing, who had no job, who just wanders into their city, is a major topic of conversation in the strategy meetings in the rank and file of the forces of evil. Because he lived his life declaring, my Lord is worthy. So what is the armor that we're given? The resources we have in Christ. If you look at Romans chapter 13, it says this in verse 12 through 14. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There are two statements here that are synonymous on parallel tracks. The armor of light that we are to put on is the same thing as putting on Jesus Christ. It is His resources. The armor we're given are the resources and benefits we have in Christ. And those resources and benefits that we have in Christ are what enable us to fend off the attacks of the enemy and live to the glory of Christ. Because the devil will throw stuff our way to distract or deter us. Remember, I talked about the four different methods he uses. He deceives us. The very first piece of the armor we're given is the belt of truth. It goes around the middle and everything, all the other pieces of the armor connected to that and hooked into it. Truth is given to fight the devil's deception. He is the accuser. We are given the breastplate of righteousness. Again, as we, we un unpack these in our studies, we'll see how the breastplate of righteousness is given against the continual accusations of Satan. Against temptation, he gives us the helmet of salvation. He gives us the footgear of the gospel of peace. And against intimidation, he gives us the shield of faith to ward off the, the flaming arrows that he fires against us. And he gives us the dagger of the Spirit, which, are the specific, which is the, the rhema, the specific promises of God that God gives to us to fight off the intimidating attacks of the devil. The question comes down to this. Do we want to live our lives declaring God is worthy? Do we want to live our lives to the glory of God? If we do, we have been given the resources in Jesus to resist the one who hates those 
who seek to live to God's glory, we are given armor. But the armor is really not necessary unless we are saying, my passion is to be surrendered to Christ. My heart's longing is that my life would declare before a watching world and also a watching unseen world that He is worthy. I want to close with this. In March 2004, five missionaries, three women and two men, were in a car in the city of Mosul in northern Iraq. These were missionaries. They had gone there to provide care, practical care, for the people of the war-torn country of Iraq. And while they were driving through Mosul, another vehicle came alongside of them of terrorists. And the terrorists opened their windows and actually had a a launcher of uh, rocket-propelled grenades and also uh, semi-automatic weapons. And they just poured their fire into the car. Four of the five missionaries were killed, one of whom was a girl named Karen Watson from Bakersfield, California. Karen had watched a little over a year before the war-torn country of Iraq and seen the destitution, the refugees, the people, and God had compelled her to go into mission. She had joined a mission. She quit her job. She was a 38-year-old single woman. She sold her car. She sold her house, and she went to serve in Iraq. Before she left, knowing the risk and the danger, she wrote a letter. And she sealed it in a letter. She gave it to her pastor and left. When word came back of the tragic news that Karen had been killed, the pastor, of course, remembered the letter which she had told him to open only at the point of her death. And he brought out the letter And this is what the letter said. It turned out to be a two-page handwritten letter that began, If you're reading this letter, it means I won't be coming home to Bakersfield, for I am with Jesus. Then in large capital letters, she wrote across the page, There are no regrets. She proceeded to say, My call is to obedience. Suffering is expected. His glory is my reward. And then she repeated, His glory is my reward. What does it mean to stand? It means to say, His glory is our reward. It's our goal. It's our longing. It's our delight. That our little insignificant, in the world's eyes, lives would be lived in such a way that we would be saying he's worthy to be trusted. He's worthy to be obeyed. He's worthy to suffer for. He's worthy to die for. Because his glory is my reward. To say that Christ is our center and Jesus is our Lord and we delight to be able to live declaring his worthiness. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning. We're stunned with the thought again that we're given the opportunity to live our lives for your glory. 
are the simple choices that we're going to make today, one way or another, we're going to declare whether God is worthy to be trusted and obeyed or not. Oh Lord, help us to know how to avail ourselves of these resources that we can stand, that we can resist the temptations, the intimidations, the accusations and the lies that our lives would be declaring the worthiness that is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our time together with a song we really felt was really appropriate for this study. It's called, In Christ Alone, and the phrase goes, In Christ Alone, I Take My Stand. And we're asking you, right there in your living room, if you would, if that is your heart's declaration, to stand and sing with with Mike and Elizabeth this morning, In Christ Alone, I Take My Stand.
guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Oh, Jesus, we know that you are the one that commands our destiny. And Lord, even I pray you'd forgive us for trying to race ahead of you. Day by day, moment by moment, might we trust in the God who knows and sees all. Lord, even the God who has before uh, we were even alive, in our mother's womb, you set forth plans and things and, and good works for us as followers of Christ to carry out and do in this world. God, might we ask you each day, God, what would you have for me today? What work would you ask of me in this moment, in this time, in our world's history? We stand and, and battle against the powers of darkness because of Christ in us. He is our strength, our hope, our life, our song. Oh, we'll sing it. We'll sing it all day long, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.